Hi, welcome to this, the final episode, episode 40 of Mike's Moment Of. I can hardly believe that I would have gotten to 40 episodes when I started this in February of this year. Uh, I'm so happy that I've managed to be consistent and to put out an episode every week since I started. Uh, It has been a journey. It's been a lot of growth. Uh, I've managed to introduce you all to some wonderful people and some interesting people, some talented people, some people who have so much knowledge. It's just been mind-blowing, the the things that they've shared with me and the experiences that I've had uh, in doing this podcast. For this final episode, we're doing an interview, uh, a meeting, a lime, a hang with two friends. One friend you've met before who is uh, Carl Williams, and we we spoke with him a few weeks ago. And we're going to speak also with a colleague of his, uh, Daphne Secret. Now, together, they have been doing uh, a series of workshops uh, called We Are the Canon, which is really about decolonizing the, um, the, the curriculum of the theater, uh, of teaching theater, directing, etc. Uh, but they will talk more about that. So we're kind of doing a little bit of light unpacking of what they are doing with this workshop and what they've encountered uh, in the process. So, but before we get to that, I really just want to say thank you. If you have been a part of this journey with me, if you have checked out episodes, if you have commented, if you have given me your feedback, if you have shared the episodes with someone else, with a friend, a family member, a student, a teacher, (laughs) whoever, uh, you know, if you've learned something from the stories that, that, you know, I've been able to share uh, and you've appreciated it and I appreciate your coming along with me and and you know spending your time because some of these episodes are not short they're quite long and you know if you have taken that time out to listen even if it's over a few sittings to listen bit by bit um i i have to say thank you so much i'm so very appreciative it makes me feel good and if you know, I just want to let you know that it's not too late to, to reach out to me and to give me a feedback and to, you know, just send a note or a, an email. Um, there's the Mike's Moment of at gmail.com. There's also the, you know, commenting on on the, the various episodes. Uh, you know, there's YouTube. There's also my website, which is michaelshawnharris.com. And there, there's a podcast page. You can comment there or you can send me a note. Uh, but yeah, once again, thank you so much. All right, let's go into this final episode. I'm so happy. I'm Michael Sean Harris, and you're listening to Mike's Moment Of, a weekly podcast in which I, along with my guests, share our various interests in moments of inspiration, truth, life, technology, culture, and more. I hope you're entertained and informed and that you feel inspired to join me again and again in my moments of. Welcome to this, the final episode of this season of Mike's Moment Of. <laughs> we're talking to good, 
my good friends, Daphne and Carl. They're in, they're in two different parts of the US at the moment, but we're talking about uh, a workshop and project that they've started called We Are The Canon. And I'll let them talk about that. Welcome, Daphne. Welcome, Carl. Y'all know Carl, you've met him before. You're just meeting Daphne now. She's awesome. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Carl, I'll let you start. Uh, what am I starting about? The project? Yeah, sure. Yes, so, we are okay, the canon. <laughs> so this is Daphne's brainchild, right? Where she said where she said to me, we need to... Yeah, it's, it's, it's true, though. You know, I mean, it was COVID hit and people are losing their minds, especially in the teaching fraternity, because it meant that we had to, you know, shelter in place. And we had to think about, okay, how do we... And what's the new word now? Pivot. It's not a pivot, new word, yes, but that's yes. a word everybody's using now. You know, we must pivot. How do we transition um, from online to, you know, from face-to-face to online? What are we going to do? All these things. And uh, Daphne started this, this document. She just started compiling um, all sorts of resources. And, you know, other people are doing it as well. Uh, but she put it out there. I knew her. <laughs> and she shared it with me. She shared it with her colleagues. And then, as and then, of course, George Floyd got murdered, and um, it highlighted again how many people were getting murdered, how many black people were getting murdered around the United States. Brought back all the old wounds, uh, and just just put another spotlight. And I think because of COVID, people at home, people were frustrated. Everybody started turning on. Um, the news more, people started reading articles more, people started getting more um, into their social media feeds. And of course, that was flooded. If it wasn't about COVID, it was about um, police brutality, it was about the racial tensions. And of course, that sparked tons and tons of conversations. So here it is, my friend, my colleague, <laughs> posting about, okay, ha, huh, this, this is how we can do stuff online. People are sharing like, like crazy. All the, 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 you know, educational fraternity is just like really getting involved in oneness online now. Here's how we help each other cope and do this. And then it's like, oh my God, here it is, America's cancer, America's, you know, ridiculous cancer that, that has plagued the nation since inception of racism. Mm-hmm. And it's just staring us in the face. And um, we had to think about, as a theater fraternity, how do we cope? How do we deal with that? Um, what is our answer? And then we realized, well, you know, we've been teaching about anti-racism. We've always had that <laughs> in our work, in our curriculum, in our lessons. And um, some people don't. Some institutions do not. And so Too many other workshops not. were around the place. And then Daphne was like, yeah, too many. And Daphne said, well, what are we doing about theater pedagogy? You know, um, Nicole Brewer had anti-racist theater, which is fantastic. And then Daphne says, let's, let's do something for, for the teachers. Let's do something for theater teachers. Let's, um, let's create some community. Let's create a space where um, we'll facilitate and we'll just share. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We started compiling documents yeah. um, that we were finding online and trying to put them all in one space so that people would have that. Um, both Carl and myself were also attending workshops. So here's the, the crazy thing, right? Like both Carl and myself have been doing these, um, have been doing anti-racist pedagogy and DEI, I, you know, EDI, whatever you want to call it, right? We've been doing all of that for like over years. And um it's so fascinating because like we're still going to workshops 
we're still learning from other people. We're still, but then the people who need to be doing this stuff are not even <laughs> going to these workshops. Yeah. Right. And then they're like, and then they're like, well, how do I do this? And it's like, well, there was only like 50 workshops this summer, you know, like <laughs> you actually, like you have to, you know, you can't just sit, sit there and be like, how do I do this? And you have to take that initiative. So what was really beautiful is that a lot of teachers, we end up designing two different types of workshops, one for high school teachers. Um, so before students go to college and then in elementary, like K through 12 in the, in the United States system. And then one for like college professors, slightly because there's different things to aim at when you're teaching and different things that you got to deal with when you're teaching in um, a public school system versus a university okay. and things of the sort. Money and funding being very drastically different. And so we started, um, it took us like two months to start even designing what the workshop was going to be. Um, because as pedagogues, we both, you know, had to think about like scaffolding we had to think about like, what do we present? And, and it's, I think evolved really beautifully because we started with like four hours. Now it's five. Um, it flows a lot better now than the first couple ones. And we took a lot of feedback from people um, to improve it and to add more things. And, and of course something is always happening and language is always changing. Yeah. And just today, Oh my God. Um, so today I was in a, in a panel, anti-racist uh, practices and, and education and with professors at my institution and the same things that Carl was just saying that, and then like, you know, pedagogy, like in this whole question of like, how do we do this? How do we help teachers? And this wasn't just theater teachers. These was professors across the entire um, institution. Uh, one person had attended a workshop. It was a student who was also giving feedback and she had attended a workshop at the new school and it was an in international relations. And there's this new type of pedagogy and it's called pedagogy of love. Oh. And so Carla and I have this whole list of pedagogy that uh, we talk about and that we share because I don't know what it's like in other fields, but in the field of theater, a lot of people end up having an MFA in acting or an MFA in directing or an MFA in playwriting but they don't take any education courses. Right. So they're never taught how to teach. And so they've never heard about different types of pedagogies because they've never entered a space where they've learned those things. Right. Meanwhile, because Carl and I have degrees in um, educational theater, we live, eat, and breathe all this stuff on a continuous basis. Right. A lot of artists really just learn how to teach from how they've been taught and not necessarily, mm -hmm. they didn't really study you know, the, the, the various pedagogies, as you're, as you're mentioning. You're, you're going to say something? And, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, I was just going to say, teach um, how you've been taught. And that has come up in the pushback and the debates um, that have kind of spiraled since the protests, because once one community or one set, one group decides that, okay, Police brutality is wrong, but you know what else is wrong? That centers racism and whiteness are teaching methodologies and institutions and uh, workplace and relationships. So it, I think what we saw was just a continuous spiraling of different groups uh, finding voices or shouting even louder or putting more steam and, and, and muscle behind other groups that already existed to then question, should we continue with this harm 
right? I was at mm-hmm. uh, a workshop um, last month and this woman um, described some of these institutions as crime scenes for, for people of color. Yeah. Because people, you know, you spend so much money to go to these institutions that have these fantastic reputations. And then you get there and you feel so isolated, so lonely. The curriculum is not tailored to you. Uh, you, you, you head in More class inclusive. and you, the, the experience you're having is like, what is this? So you're spending so much money to basically be told that something is wrong with you. Something is wrong with the way you think. Uh, just because of something like, let's, let's name one thing, um, cultural incompetence on behalf of instructors or the students mm-hmm. to figure out who it is, who is it that is in front of me right now? Who is in front of me, right? And when I'm casting this person, um, am I just casting them because I want to show that I've got a person of color as Ophelia? Or am I taking into concern who Ophelia is and who she could be as I enact this, this particular play? And, um, and so, yeah, it really, it, it brought up a lot of things and the workshops have been quite illuminating for us doing them. Mm-hmm. And we keep changing. And, and Daphne mentioned, you know, new pedagogy of love, but it made me think of, of Bell Hooks who's been around yes. and bell hooks yes. talks about one of the greatest things a teacher can have is love. love so it's like i read that years ago you know and then now we're remembering oh pedagogy of love and you're just like it's been around so it, it i think in this work daphne and i've been kind of figuring out like well not figuring out but we've realized that we have to be paying homage to all the people who who've kind of mm-hmm. started this or, or or been doing this work and then of course recognize the new people in the game, all, all the, you know, the, the, the Generation Z or whatever you want to call them with the alphabet, whatever. Yeah. I know some people call us the alphabet, alphabet people. Very problematic term, by the way. <laughs> but, um, you know, here we are. But you exactly right. But, uh, <laughs> but, but here it is. We are looking again at, at pedagogy of love, pedagogy of kindness, um, there's just all mm-hmm. of this, um, and I think it's great. I think I think everything's there because I think what we have to do is um, stop looking at things as these big, faraway groups, and really start to see individuals and start to see who who are we teaching, right. who's in front of us, and why should I enact the harm that was given to me if I didn't like how. Um, that training made me feel, why do I then feel it's this rite of passage for my students? Why am I going to go now and then, you know, no, say the monologue this way and speak like this, you know, tripping on the tongue and all of that stuff. And when, when, I don't know, it, 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 what, what matters? I think that's one of the questions that, that's coming up now. What exactly matters and who matters, right? And, and you know, this, we matter. But how, these students, how do we show that? These students have been, you know, and we could probably even include ourselves as former students. Like, I haven't, I was very um, stubborn as a student, so you couldn't beat anything, you couldn't beat anything out of me. It just was not going to happen. I remember getting critiqued um, because I cut my hair and then, you know, then being like, you look like a boy. And I was like, oh, there's wigs. So, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm like, I can put on any wig. 
you need me to put on a wig? I got a wig <laughs> so I can cut my hair. It's not a big deal. And they were like, you know, they would look at me. I um, pierced my tongue and they were like, how could you pierce your tongue as an actor? And I was like, it's going to heal. I already have an accent. It's not going to change the way I speak. I'm going to speak exactly the same way. And then they didn't know what to do with someone like me. Right. Um, and now they have lots of students like me, which is fantastic. Um, because the, you need students that are going to be like, no, you, I'm not going to change for you. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to change because you want this. And I remember, um, back in my acting days, <laughs> um, I remember like I was, flown out to California to audition for a TV show. And um, I was one of the top people that they brought in. I think they had like, I was top five. And um, I remember them telling me it's my senior year, big, big, big role. And they were telling me like, we love you. You're everything we want. Cause they were looking for someone who was um, uh, ethnically ambiguous. You know, the industry loves that yes. term. And so, and, you know, who could be multiple different ethnicities by just looking at them. And they're like, we love you, but um, we need you to lose, um, you know, 20 pounds. Mind you, I was already 100. I was 120 pounds and I was ripped because I was an athlete. I had a six pack and it was, it was pure muscle. I had been a track athlete. Um, I was doing taekwondo, it, you know, it was just like are you kidding me? I was like, there's nope. And they were giving me a month to lose 20 pounds. They're like, yeah, we're, we're going to fly you back in a month. And that's another sort of standard in this industry, right? Like body types. And um, so not, no, we're not just looking at race. We're also looking at body types and then how do we fit in, in all these things. And I remember, you know, being 21 years old and being like, F this. I was <laughs> like, I do not want to go into this system where it's going to force me to have to eat water for like the rest of my life. I was like, no, I want to eat a cheeseburger. Yeah. I want to eat, you know, and I don't want to have to be restricted by being a certain weight. Um, and that really turned things for me around. And I decided back then, I was like, I want to go into education and teach theater right. and try to teach against this, right? And we're talking 20 plus years ago. Um, and then you fast forward. And one of the things that Carl and I talk about in our workshops is this sort of like trickle up, trickle down effect which is the industry is already racist. It is. It was built on a foundation of racism. And um, of course we want to burn it down. That would be fantastic. But that's not a realistic <laughs> thing to happen. We want to, but it's not going to happen. Um, and then there's certain things about the industry that we do you know, still like no matter what. Um, but if we don't change the way that we're teaching our classes, we can't change the industry because it trickles up and it trickles back down. Right. So it goes back to exactly what you just said and what Carl was also just talking about, like how people teach is how they've been taught. Mm -hmm. So if you've been taught a specific way and it's harmful and it is dangerous and it's racist, why are you perpetuating that? Again, like too many kids in like BFA programs, I've seen them come into my class after they have like their juries. Um, I've seen their tears. I've seen their souls being sucked out of their entire system. And I've seen them lose their faith in the arts um, because of one session with these professors who ripped them to pieces. Right. Why are we doing that? Mm -hmm. Like, why are we doing that to people? I don't understand. Like, what, how is that pedagogy? How does that help anyone? Yes, this business is hard. Yes, this business is competitive. 
but does it help to rip people to shreds and try to fit them into a box in a category and be like, oh, they're going to want you to be ethnically ambiguous. You're going to fit the skinny blonde, blah, blah, blah. You're going to fit the this and this and this. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's frustrating. And it's like, no, we got to change that. And both Carl and I believe that the way to change that is we start in our classes and we start in the way that we teach because our students are the next generation. And so if they've been taught differently, that starts to break this, the cycle, then they go into the industry. They have different expectations of demands. They start to help change the industry. Right. And then, you know, maybe we won't, we might not see this change, you know, hopefully we will because we're very young, right, Carl. And, um, you know, but you know, it's got to change. It's got to change. So, but you, um, you, both of you are saying that the, the thinking on, on a lot of this has been around for a while, you know, it's been in books. You've, you know, you 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 know various people who have been working in these things, but but really, then it's been ignored. What's the, what's why is it being ignored? Is it is this privilege that you know it, this is not this doesn't affect me, so I'm not gonna you know be involved with this until it does. <laughs> so, uh, and then now that it does, because it's now affecting everybody in a big way, you know, yeah. um, that's when you start to take notice and go, oh, but oh, I could do it this way. Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know, you know, how to do this, or I don't understand um, what 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 BIPOC is. I, I don't, uh, you know, I, I, so, and you're, you're confronted with something like Hamilton, where the people who are, who are the, the, the quote-unquote race there, the, you know, the character is a particular race, but the, the person playing it is something completely different. And you're like, oh, it does not compute, does not compute, you know, so, I mean, you know, so all of this is kind of slapping you in your face now. Um, and the truth is that it is, it might be one way in the US, but in other countries, it might be another way, you know, yes. it might be, it might be flipped completely on, on its, on its, on its, on its back, you know, uh, in terms of, of who gets seen the most and who doesn't and who has to fit into what and, and who has to fit this role, <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah, tell me, talk, cause I, I know that you speak on, on privilege, uh, and, and what that concept is in, in your workshop. You want to talk a bit about that, Carl? Boy, I tell you, I'm gonna I'm gonna put God on a limb on privilege because I think privilege is is one of the most fluid things, and we have to be very careful with it because all of us carry privilege. Oh yeah, this this makeup right here carries privilege. It depends on where we go, yeah. and uh, you know, I will go to a play, and if I am sitting with a, if I'm sitting with two women, one who is a who I just identifies as black, another identifies as African American, and I look at the content on that stage, I can come out smiling, and the two of them might have a different interpretation. So then that speaks to um, a sort of privilege that comes from from gender, all right. And then it's the same way. Yep. I will go, I will go to the barbershop, and. I can have a different experience from my cisgendered straight um, compatriot, and uh, you know, so so privilege is 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 something that I think um, we have to have the courage and vulnerability to mm -hmm. to talk about um, mm -hmm. very honestly, and it it comes from knowing how you show up in different spaces, and that is not easily admitted today because. People want to kind of hang on certain things because you know it's it's almost like you know when you when when you go in the room and you realize oh I'm the only Jamaican so it's either you get really upset that you have to 
represent the entire island in the room. Or you can take on the privilege and be like, oh yeah, I get to sell my version of Jamaica to everybody here. And then as soon as another Caribbean person walks in the room, you're like, you either don't feel special anymore or you're like, oh my God, thank you. I'm, I'm so happy you're here. You know, <laughs> and all things happen for different reasons, right? Because, uh, because it, it only takes two of you from, from a different country to be in a room with people that are all from the same country to figure out if you even like each other. Mm-hmm. Because I've heard different things like, you know, oh, you're not really, you're, you're not the real Jamaican. And I'm like, oh, okay, please, please let me know yes. what the real Jamaican is supposed to look, sound like, think like, act like, um, all these things. But I've then I'm not an idiot, so I know exactly where they're coming from. Yeah. I, know exactly, <laughs> I know exactly what they mean. I know exactly the way I present and show up. I know, by the way, I'm speaking now, um, exactly what all of that means, because that comes with privilege. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The ability to, to be able to speak and code switch is 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 a particular a kind privilege. of privilege right yep. and so but, but in this particular country that Daphne and I reside in the United States a lot of people get up in arms about identifying with white privilege with their mm-hmm. own white privilege i can now be quite comfortable and say that of course i, I was i wasn't brought up rich but it's very hard to convince certain people if i go to certain parts of jamaica that i don't have money i've already accepted this when i go back home and i go certain places and say yo big man what well, um, oh, 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 give me your yeah. money now i mean i don't have it to give them <laughs> but i'm not gonna act like i don't understand why they think i have money right. I, it's very clear to me why they think I have money. Right? Oh, yes. I may not have it, but I, I think I've always looked like I've, I've had money for a while. Um, let's, let's hope it manifests. So, <laughs> but in this, in, in, this, in, in this country, it's, it's, it's a touchy subject because if you are poor and you're white and you felt like the system has been at your back forever, some people are so upset to hear that they have privilege just based on um, on complexion, mm-hmm. on race, and, or, or perceived race, and all of these things, you know. So, so yeah, that it one. Even, I think yeah, we'll be sitting with even, that one for a while. Yeah. It gets even more complicated when you think about the Latinx community, um, because Latinx is not a race. No, you know, Jamaican like it is an race. ethnicity, <laughs> right? And it's like it's an ethnicity, and um, which is problematic in its own sense and way um a lot of folk in latin america will say latin instead of latinx because they feel like latinx is very uh, americanized and so you're hearing latin a lot in a lot of latin america to be more gender inclusive but even if you study latin american history there is a huge privilege of race within latin american countries there's a whole hierarchy there's a caste system that existed in all of Latin America and like with names and labels as to what people are. And those names and labels were based on your skin tone and that guaranteed or it didn't your job or your social standing and your structure and your ability to succeed and go up. There's a reason why in a lot of Latin countries, you know, the saying is like, you know, you know, 
you got to marry someone who's light skin because then, you know, mejorar la raza. And to do that, you marry someone who's lighter skin and all the problems that come with that. And then the interesting part of privilege when it comes to this is you have a community of, of folk who are white. They are white. They are white, but they don't want to say they're white. So they'll be like, oh, I'm white presenting. No, you're white. <laughs> you're not presenting. You are white, you know? And it's so fascinating. Like, my mom is indigenous, my dad is uh, Spanish, and he's white. And people don't believe me. When I say my father is white, they don't. They look at me and they're like, no. And I'm like, no, my, my father is white. Like, you know, Carl's my, my dad, my dad's white. <laughs> he's white, you know. And like my uncles, like one of my uncles was... Um, I tell her she comes to Jamaica, she definitely be that's the boat, or she'd be white. Yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't get why they wouldn't <laughs> believe that, because... It, I know, it's, it's fascinating. So, so that's it, the thing you know, though, we, yeah. I think, especially in the U.S. And, White and, and people I see are the ones. Because, no, I think, well, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm making this up, but I think it might be no. coming from this one drop thing that they have, mm-hmm. um, oh. that, that, you know, it, there's, there's nothing but black or white. Because anything else that you're, I mean, I, I, I know I've seen on, on one of your slides where, where, um, where you, you know, there's only one one race. The human race is, is problematic, but it's something I say all the time. But I'm coming from a from a different place. I'm coming from yeah. I'm coming from a scientific place. But um, <laughs> yeah, because I've been I've been I've been doing all this uh, DNA you know stuff with my family and with me. So I have a cousin because we because he's been doing it as well. And so we, you know we're finding all these wills from 18 whenever with uncles who are who are plantation owners. They own slaves. Mm-hmm. So you know. Um, going through, but he's trying to say, okay, and their wife was this, and he's using these terms like octoroon and 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 misty, and I'm like, Same. that's Same. offensive. It's like, how? No, it's not offensive. It says who they are. It's like, no, it doesn't. It doesn't say who Ooh. they are. What it does is, is, what it says is what they were allowed to do and be because yep. of how it presented. So it is yep. offensive, and I really would prefer yep. if you didn't use that when you're trying to to decipher who we are and who we've been and where we're coming from. Because oh, but they but they use it in Latin. It's offensive. <laughs> yep, yep, absolutely. And even you know, like there's been so many things that I have been called by different folks in Latin America. I remember I was at a wedding, um, and I'll never ever ever forget this. I was at a um, Ecuadorian wedding. Uh, the wedding took place in the Bahamas. So you know, so just to tell you, the entire family traveled from Ecuador to the Bahamas. So they're very privileged mm-hmm. and they're very white. And um, I'm, at the, I'm at the wedding and this, you know, my friend introduces me to this other girl. I'm sitting in this table and this other girl, she's like, ay, eres tan mona para ser um, morena clara. Morena means black mm-hmm. and clara means light skin. Yeah. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, and also like the whole expression, oh, you're so cute for being, you know, someone who's light skin black. Mm-hmm. A, offensive as hell. I literally stood there in shock trying to process what she was saying. I'm like, that's, and then I was like, that's really offensive. She's like, no, it's not. It's a compliment. I was like, that is not a compliment. <laughs> I mean, it's a compliment that you think I'm black. That's, I'll take that compliment, but I'm not going to take the compliment like, oh, you're so cute, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, that is very problematic. Mm-hmm. And I think there's privilege that's involved around that. And I would love to grab this person. So she was darker than I was. And I really wanted to be like, you should be taking a DNA test because I want to know what's inside you, you know? And it's like, and again, like 
I just, I remember I just stood there sort of shook and I was just like, that's so fascinating that that's how you see me. And I was like, wow. Um, And again, not a compliment, but again, different spaces, different people, different cultures. If I'm walking into a white space here in America, I'm not, I don't have a white lived experience in this country. Mm. I don't, my father's white, but I don't have a white lived experience in this country. Um, so I always find that very interesting. And I was talking to a really good friend of mine um, about this the other day. And we were talking about like Kamala Harris, like what is her lived experience, right? As a woman of mixed heritage, given that she is Jamaican and she is black, but she's also Indian. Yeah, right. And, you know, and she's also grown up in the United States. And we were talking about like, she chose to go to school at Howard. You know, she chose to go to school there. So that tells you that, her lived experience is that of a black woman. Black, yeah. And then she pledged a black sorority. Yes. So again, more experience, you know, her life experience is that of a black but that's, woman. That's, that's also how her, her mother brought her up. Her mother yeah. brought her up. And this is the thing, when you are in the United States, uh, you have to make those choices for your children, for your mixed race children, uh, because of how the society is set up. Yep. Right. And you have to remember that these laws, I mean, if you, if you talk about some of the most racist societies that we remember, um, President Bota of South Africa borrowing the Jim Crow laws, adapting yep. those laws were taken from the United States. Mm-hmm. You yep. know, all of these things, it's, it's, it's been it's been it's, it's ingrained in the society and it's and it's spread. Every colonized place has this issue in some shape or form. Yeah. Every single one, in different and ways. especially the region. You talk about the Caribbean region in very different ways. It may not sound the same, but the concentration on on on, on complexion and be- standards yes, of beauty thing. and just worthiness. Yes, that, yes, that is attached mm-hmm. to, to to all. You know, you learn very early. I I knew very early in 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 school that um, my mother was considered a prize. You know, because of how she looked, it, you, you, we, we were we, we were told that we look like foreign children because it's a fat and brown. You know, so we look well fed, and so you, people tell you these things. You know, you know, in in if you have siblings, people will look at you. Adults will yep. look at you, and they're already putting you yep. in a hierarchy of beauty, a hierarchy of who has the better hair, who has. Right. So, so you're growing up. <laughs> with all of these things ingrained, and it, it, if you're not privileged to receive the education mm-hmm. to unlearn and un- mm-hmm. unpack, then and heal, then you continue in this vein, right. and you may not, uh, yeah, and you may not. Get it. Yeah, thank you. You, know, you you get it from the formal institutions. You may get that sort of education if you if you run into a quote-unquote woke aunt or uncle or somebody and and then you have to figure it out for yourself right. because it doesn't matter how much education you receive about this you could reject it as well mm-hmm. and people do it people do it all the time so and then you have to form your own opinion about the world so when i do encounter students like that or family members like that i have to resist judging them because i think that's another thing that daphne and i talk about in these workshops it is as, as teachers, we have to interface with, with all our students. You know, there's an article that we bring up about what if your students don't want to do this kind of work? If they don't want to talk about race, what, what do you do? I have some students right now that they don't want 
so you know, I, I'm I'm sorry for some of these these plays that give them the sort of material that you know they can really test the acting chops. And there's resistance. They're like, no, I I would like a play with some joy. I would like a play that's a comedy. I would like a play that does not have me weeping and wailing about my life at the end of it. You know, so there's all of that to consider, right? When you teach and who is in the room. You also you have that power dynamic where you're teaching everybody and you have to figure out how you're going to not isolate the white student who might support Trump because they're in the room and you want to get to them. I mean, I have an agenda, first of all, you know, but, you know, you, you know, yeah. <laughs> you have to be inclusive. Yeah. And I think what's also fascinating true. for Carl and myself is we now, because we've taught K through like, you know, 90s, of age. Um, what's really interesting about teaching at the collegiate level is that most, not all, because we, especially at the community college level, you do have older students. Um, but a lot of our students are also discovering who they are. And, you know, talking, for example, again, about Latin, Latinx students, some of them, I'll take students who might be Dominican, might discover their blackness for the first time in college. Right. Because they've been brought up with this er erasure and sort of like they've been brought up with a nationalistic point of view that erases race and that doesn't acknowledge who they are and um, and what their background is. So then they come to college and they finally take a course on X, Y, and Z because it's part of the core curriculum. And so they have to take it, right? They're being forced to. And all of a sudden they're walking out of these classes being like, oh my God, I did not know I was this. Mm -hmm. Or I have a lot of students here um, at my institution that are mixed white and Latinx. And what's really been fascinating, I was talking to a friend of mine the other night, and um, he was sharing that, you know, his parents are immigrants um, from Mexico. And for him, his experience was really hard as a first generation because his parents didn't want him to learn Sp Spanish. They didn't want him to speak Spanish. They wanted him to assimilate as much as possible and to be as white as possible mm -hmm. so that he and you know his brothers and sisters didn't have to go through the hardships that the parents went through right. in this country, the discrimination that they had to face, the you know, the the just the horrors and the harm and all of those things. And so then they teach their they don't teach their kids about their own culture and then the kids get older and they go to college and all of a sudden they discover their culture that they haven't been taught. And that there's other two things that happen. Either there's a lot of anger um, that hasn't been processed and a lot of questions because it's like, well, why haven't I been taught this? Why haven't I been exposed to this? Why do I know this about my own self and my own identity? Right. And then <clears throat> the other half is, oh my God, I am this also? This is fantastic. And there's also this embrace. And so, but that goes back to what Carl's saying and this notion of privilege. If you're not in the spaces where you're going to be able to have these conversations, whether they be higher learning or whether they be in a circle of space of friends, who is having these kind of conversations? Because you could be having these enlightening conversations, not in a collegiate institution. Right. They can happen with your friends too. They don't need to have gone to college. But if you're not having those conversations, um, you're not being exposed to certain things. And so then you know, you're growing up also questioning and wrapping this all into this notion of theater, right? Where theater is all about characters and identity and personas and psychology. All of this 
is like a triple whammy effect when you are a student of color, when you are an immigrant student of color, when you have a different lived experience than that um, of the white um, norm in the United States. And so hopefully through our work, we can try to start chipping at trying to change. Right this normalization so in in the few times that you've run it the the workshop so far um either with uh, among the students or even among the 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 professors what has come up that has mm-hmm. kind of stumped you has gone hmm? has there, can you think of anything <laughs> oh yeah I, you know, I mean, there's always something that stumps you, right? Because even just the way that's on my screen right now, I think one of the first things is this idea of pronouns. And, um, you know, do you say to students in the class, I, I, you know, hey, my name is, these are my pronouns, and then you go around the room and ask that? Or do you give them a choice to do it? And there's a debate that, uh-uh, this thing is important. Identity is important. How people identify is important. So you, as the teacher, setting the tone for the class, then needs to be the one to put it out there and let everybody know that this is a sort of space where you put pronouns out and everyone says a pronoun. The issue here is that it depends on, again, you know, it comes back to privilege and where you're teaching and location. Because if you are somewhere, this is not something that even people who are questioning, and if you teach high school and you college, then don't, don't act like, you, like everybody just all of a sudden, because of this generation is so woke, all of a sudden at 16, you know who you want to sleep with or you know how you, how you want to identify. Because then you're contradicting yourself. Because if we're saying that sexuality is fluid, then not everybody at 60 knows where they want to be. Not everybody at 22 knows where they want to be. Some people don't know at 30 who they want to be with. So mm-hmm. this also calls into question, some people might feel um, exposed at, at, at the idea of having to declare uh, a gender or declare a pronoun, declare identity. So for us, we're like, listen, as teachers, we have to come up with different ways. We have to come up with different ways of affirming those students who want to put it out there and say, look, I am they, them, he, him, she, her. Right. And we also have to find a way to, to give choice to those who don't have that yet because they don't know where they are yet. And they may not even have the sophisticated vocabulary of saying questioning. And to those people who are advocates for this, they might not understand that there are students out there, there are people out there who, who are like, yeah. what is this? Why are you exposing me? You know, mm-hmm. that they will have a different kind of attitude. And when you're teaching, and, and because we both taught at the community college level, and I'm still there, and we, we taught uh, like the widest range of student population you can think of at that level, you have to be very careful. We've taught people mm-hmm. who can't even look you in the face because it's against their culture to stare at you and talk, talk to you in the face. Yeah. So you have to I think mean- about how do you scaffold this? And something like the pronoun issue, 
that spiral the debate which i think is still raging <laughs> so that kind of stumped us yeah. that when we were trying to be open about it and be vulnerable it was met with you know yeah imagine yeah, and- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not yet. Yeah. Listen to and, me. Away I go with that, sir. Yes. Right? So think about it also in a in a hmm. Spanish speaking classroom where you have a language that is gendered, right? You have a gendered <laughs> language. And so there's this whole which again goes back to like Latin, Latinx, and there's a huge debate that pe- people get angry for saying that. And it's, I mean, they get angry, like <laughs> angry. I've n- and I'm just like, y'all, yeah, I've why seen so some of those comments. And it's, mm. and it's like, if you don't, if you don't identify, you don't have to say that that's what you are. But if someone else does, like, what is wrong with being inclusive? Right. But again, like anger. Um, another thing we encountered is um, both Carl and myself are, I would say, very patient and um, also, I think we're very open to having discussions with multiple of people. Going back to what Carl was saying, like, yeah, we might have a student in our room who has completely politi- different com- political ideologies than we do. So although we are very transparent, both him and I, about our political ideologies in our classrooms, we still need to be able to reach that student that does not look at the world the way that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and also... I believe, I'm not going to speak for Carl right now, um, but I believe that we can't change what's going on in the classrooms. We can't help teachers if we don't listen to them and if we don't have conversations with them and meet them where they're at. Yes, sometimes I want to strangle some of the people that come to me and some of the questions that they ask me. Sometimes I just want to hit my head and be like, "Eh, eh," you know, um, against the wall and be like, I just are you serious? But then I have to like take it in, smile and be like, well, thank you so much for trusting me. I thank you so much for asking that question. Um, you know, you change your voice, you change your pattern, you change you know, code switch, as Carl was saying earlier. And you sit down and have this conversation because if I turn to them and I'm like, fuck you, motherfucker, what the fuck are you thinking? Right. If I start that way, that person will never, investigate or look or question at race or their own racism or their own bias. And even sometimes when I've been nice, people still take that. Um, I mean, they still take offense and I'm actually being nice. Right. So imagine if I wasn't nice. Imagine if I was like, what, you know, seriously, um, we'll never get anywhere. And, And does it suck? Oh yes. It sucks. Do I like um, having to mm-hmm. code switch and be all patient and kind and nice and political correct. No, I do not like it. Um, but that's why I have Carl because then I can call him and be like, <laughs> and he can do the same thing. Um, but I, I believe, like, if I am not that way with people, with other educators, I'm not going to be able to see the change that I want to see, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I wish I could just yell at some of them. Um, but I have to look at the bigger picture and in looking at the bigger picture, I have to put away my anger. I have to put away um, me wanting to hit my head against the wall and be like, no, what is the bigger picture, Daphne? 
oh, the bigger picture is we want to create change. And so we need to understand that this person's here. So how do I take this person from here and all these ridiculous questions to here where they can now start leading their own classes, creating their own curricula, and I don't have to worry about that person ever approaching me again. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so, yeah. Yeah, I was going to just quickly, quickly say that, I guess because, again, maybe it's my privilege, but because of how I was brought up and how I see myself, which is not usually how everybody else sees me, but mm-hmm. that's, not, that's never been my you know, concern. So even when I studied in the U.S., um, I, I brought who I was to the, to yes. the table. And, you know, yes. I'd meet with who they thought I was or who they yes. thought I should be. And so that would go like this, you know, kind of thing. So with my, with my, some, some of my American friends, because of how they've been brought up. So, I mean, I don't blame them for this. This is how I know the culture is. So I, I remember in a conversation, one, one friend goes, oh, Michael, we have a Jamaican in the, uh, in the White House now. And so I was like, yeah, well, she says, she says, well, you know, um, Jamaican and Indian. I said, yeah, we have the same mix. And then, and then I went, actually, I'm more than, more than African and Indian. I'm a bit more than that. And then silence. So that, that's what happens sometimes. And I, and I understand why the silence, because, it, it, you know, the, the cogs are turning and they're going, that, that's not what I know, you know, and that's okay. But, but I, and I leave it. So, <laughs> but. You know, and I think some people do, some people get mad, some people get it, some people don't. I'm still true, I'm still being true to myself. Um, I just have to always be like, what's the level of how do I know this person, right? And so, like, can I, can I be like, mm. and so what I think about is, like, instead of yelling at them and, and being like, what the fuck? It's more like, mm-hmm. that's not appropriate. Mm. You should not say that. So I'm still telling them what the fuck, but instead of saying, but it's a different language. It's coded, right? And it's just like, let me give you another option of what you could say because what you said is really offensive. Yeah. Um. And so you know, that's that's sort of the code switch, right? It's still Plus, the same. Th- I'm still yeah. saying the same. I think we're fortunate to be in the arts because this is where you use the art to. I use the art to cuss. Right mm. to kind of put people in their place and stuff. And when I write the scenarios, I write the things that I can't say to mm. to people in professional life. It'll come out in my art in different ways. It I, I channel it because because I have to. Because when you're in leadership positions, you, you realize to be a leader is not the one that's the loudest person in the room. I, well, that's not how I, I lead. I am not about to like get into a shouting match. <laughs> I don't need to be the one always talking the most matter of fact in leadership positions i find myself doing more listening than speaking because i think that serves me well because i have to understand the people that i need to uh you know to help facilitate and that goes in the classroom as well and uh, some of the ways in which i push agenda is to choose art so ever since i've been teaching theater um, in the United States, there's always a Caribbean play. There's always something about Caribbean culture. So, uh, you know, it, they're going to get that anyway. And the work is going to help to facilitate all the difficult themes and issues that you would shy away from if you were just talking to people. You know what I'm saying? Like, there is no... Even when you are forced to kind of um, project a very Western canon... I mean, why are you someone who is from a Caribbean nation or someone who is not from the United States teaching the merchant of Venice and not 
attraction to the wider machinations of the, of the Shyla character? Why are you just going to stick in that narrow, oppressed group of just um, Judaism in, in the Elizabeth, in Elizabethan period and not link it to other oppressed groups in other people. Like, well, that's how I do. And I know Daphne does that as well, right? Because so whatever you're given a narrow cu- curriculum, and that's one of the things we try and push in the workshops as well, when you are at schools and places that do not support certain things, they don't support anti-racist workshop, they don't support you doing these things, then you have to think, okay, w- 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 what's on the docket here? What is on the book? And you look at what they give you, and there's got to be some theme. Because people have been writing about the same things forever. People write about injustice, about jealousy, about ra- about the same things over and over and over again. So if they, how, do that, how does that show up for you? you know? So you have to find ways of having the students center and their culture. And, they, and that's what I've been able to do successfully. Um, yeah, and I think it's 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 been going well. No, no one has kind of you know I've gotten fired yet, and um, <laughs> from all reports, nobody's like saying that. Oh, I'm so offended. I probably had one student this semester that that um, that, that that was really upset. Um, but you know, people are going to be upset. That's life. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. and sometimes <laughs> and people need, they need to so. get upset. They need to be upset so they can process, yes. process and examine what's going on, if they will, you know. So that's, yes. that's a good thing. And sometimes we get, I was just talking today earlier about, like, we have to, as educators, we need to be a little bit more fearless. And we need to stop thinking so much about, like, student evaluations and be a little bit more fearless in what we're doing, mm-hmm. um, especially if you're teaching in white spaces. And so, like, this semester I decided to, for my directing class to um, have them do only black plays. By black playwrights and it was funny because my students loved it my white students are like this is so hard secret but they were really excited to learn about plays and playwrights that they've never heard about mm-hmm. in their like three or four years being at this institution um which is like problematic in yeah. itself that it takes them to be in a directing course to learn about black playwrights <sighs> but um uh, what's interesting is I was getting critiqued, not from my colleagues either, but from other, other, even some other BIPOC um, faculty who were like, mm-hmm. but, but how are you going to do that at a predominantly white institution? You know, how are you going to have these white students? And I literally had to be like, um, black playwrights write white characters in their plays. <laughs> um, it is very possible. Have you heard of Lynn Lottage? Maybe you should read her plays, <laughs> you know? And then it's like, all of a sudden they're like, yeah. oh, I didn't know, yeah. you know? And it's like, there is room for white students to have roles in black plays, just like there's room for, you know, students of color to have roles in plays written by white people. Plus, um, we've been studying with the Western canon for years, Daphne, for years. I mean, you know, my know all of it. We know all of it. All of it. All of it. All the white playwrights. We know all the white artists. Of mixed and, and, and African and, and Indian students doing, doing Shakespeare. Why can't it be the other way around? And exactly. And that's what I've been, I've been trying. And both Carl and I have been saying that we're telling people, I'm like, we, and your average, you know, BIPOC student, whether they be international, whether, you know, they be from the United States, um, will have known and does know the entire, not the entire, but they know almost everyone that's significant in the Western canon. 
period. And then they will have been cast or they would have been forced to do those roles, even if they got nothing to do with who they are, right? So why are we on a consistent basis being asked to step in the shoes of white people, white characters, and white stories? And why are we not asking white students to do the same thing with our stories? Mm -hmm. Yes, there are certain plays you don't touch. I do not bring in that class. None of my students are doing August Wilson. Why? Because August Wilson said, white people cannot direct my work. Not a problem. So I'm not bringing that into the classroom. But I am bringing other white, uh, other black playwrights that have had white directors. And that, you know, why not? Okay, good, good. So what, what's the future for this? How, how are you, you going to, how are you planning to expand it? I'm sure you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, Daphne's forcing me to be an academic. So there's, there, there's, some, there's some writing that has to happen um, after <laughs> about it, you know. <laughs> Because, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's great. I mean, it's, I mean, there's a lot of work to be done in the U.S., yes. But, you know, there's all these other places there that there's a lot of work to be done as well. And I think this, you can easily, not, well, not easily, but you can, you know, make adjustments and have it work in other countries, in other cultures, um, because there's stuff going on everywhere, <laughs> everywhere, you know, so. Yeah, and, and so we've just got a book chapter accepted. Um, so we're going to be, you know, co-authoring with one of my students um, and, and we're going to hopefully maybe restart a couple of these workshops in January. Um, it's hard. Yeah. Carl and I, Carl, yeah. Carl is the chair is like, well, he's a deputy chair. He's the, the, he runs an entire theater department with like 300 majors and like, you know, 30 faculty. It, and that that he's a chair i'm not a chair and i barely have time to breathe mm. so i don't even know how carl is managing i mean are there are days where we're, we're just like Ugh, you know like and it's and we're teaching you know i'm teaching three classes carl's teaching probably three or four classes because he's at the community college level and it's like we want to continue doing this work because it's so important and critical but at the same time it's like our own institutions are so incredibly demanding of us mm -hmm. and our labor. So we have our own labor that we got to do within our classroom. Then we got the labor that we got to do within our department. And mine's less than Carl's, because Carl, you know. And then we have the university labor that's being imposed on us. And this is a labor that's not really getting paid. It's additional labor on top of all of the teaching and programming that we're doing. And then there's this expectation that we publish, there's an expectation that we be creatives. Yeah. And so, you know, Carl being putting on plays, me directing plays. God forbid I don't direct a semester professionally on top of everything else that's going on. God forbid Carl doesn't like, you know, write a play every single semester and like, you know, have a stage reading or a full production. Because it really that doesn't expectation happen. <laughs> 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 But that sort of expectation falls on us and that we have to write book chapters. And so like in in the midst of all of this craziness, it's really also about, okay how do we also find the time to try to continue doing these workshops? Because yes, we're charging people for them, but we're not, we're not really making money out of them. It's not like, you know, we're not putting down a down payment for a house. That's not <laughs> happening with these workshops. Yeah. Um, it's nice. It, co it covers, it, it compensates the labor of designing the workshop and the emotional labor of mm -hmm. vulnerability that we put ourselves in doing this work. Um, and so it's hard. And so we're thinking, okay, January might be a good time to do these workshops when we can offer two of them. 
because um, that's a break for teachers. So maybe they can come. I mean, that's the other thing. Like we're targeting teachers who have the same schedules that we do. So it's not like they can jump in and do these workshops because they also have like just as crazy schedules as we do. Right. And sort of really trying to, you know, maybe we'll do a couple workshops in January and then maybe we'll talk about, you know, revamping some workshops in the summer. Um, And again, continuing talking about this work, but it's, it's really hard because it's only us. We don't have an assistant. (laughs) We don't have a researcher. We don't have, you know, like, and some of the questions that we get from colleagues at other institutions, it's a lot. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, I commend you and applaud you. I mean, and I, I, I want to call it bravery, but that's not the word. It's more like badassery or something. It's, uh, I think that's, that's really what it is. <laughs> oh boy! In in, in light of in, in light of the activism that is happening right now, trust me, we we yeah you know. Uh, we're, we're, but everybody has to do anyway. yeah, Trust me, but there's a lot to more to do, but we're yeah. chipping away. Yeah, yeah, this is true. Yeah. This is true. We got yeah. you know you just gotta keep chipping away. You know that. It's not gonna. I, I think when I was younger, you know, I used to love what was that song, uh, the, the the Christmas song. You know, someday at Christmas, there, you know, there won't yes. be wars. Listen, I believed all of that. When Michael sung it and Stevie sung it, I was just like, oh my God, yes, and I'm going to contribute to this. And then as you get older, you realize, oh my God, this is not going away, is it? Like, there's always seems to be another war. There's just like, there's just racism and all these little isms. And you, you realize, you know, Rasta Mandela tell them long time, but we need to listen. And you know, <laughs> all of these things. And you, you see it for yourself and you just, you realize, my gosh, you just, the work never stops. And the most that you can hope for now is to just inspire, keep on doing it. And um, yeah, you just keep, I mean, please, I was one of those, the worst students, my first bachelor's on campus. So I really do believe in students. I really do believe in change because I'm one of these students that, that have changed. Some, some of my former teachers are probably looking at me going, you know, like, who is that? Like, you know, like him teaching people. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know? But Carl, don't, Carl, don't underestimate uh, yourself. Like, you are a scholar activist practitioner because you're putting it in the work that you're doing in the plays that you're you're doing and creating you're doing it in your classroom you're continuously doing activism with every single one of your lessons on a, in your curriculum on a continuous basis so look at yourself as like an activist scholar practitioner um you know even you could even an activist activist scholar creative if you wanted to instead of practitioner i'll take um, it i take it this is why she's my right? colleague and friend people <laughs> daphne secret dr secret <laughs> yes <laughs> awesome, awesome. i love you i love you i love you so much <laughs> I love you both. Thank, I, I want to say thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you for doing oh, for, for being. Thank you. Really, I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Lots of love thank in this you. room. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. I'm going to stop thank recording you. now and then we can continue the lime. Bye. Right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>